0: God's word. And in his teaching, he, Jesus, said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. As far as we read from God's word, the largest church in the United States, each weekend in Houston, Texas, uh, has a former sports complex that they use and they gather 40,000 people. The television broadcast is viewed by 20 million people each month in almost 100 countries around the world. In the year 2004, the pastor wrote a, a best selling book. He's written others. The pastor is a modern false teacher. We know that he's a false teacher from two things, his teaching and his living. He refuses to talk about sin. He does not preach the gospel of grace. He teaches that God heals everyone and makes everyone wealthy. If you're sick or poor, it's your fault because you're not trusting God enough. He teaches in another era called the word faith theology. You might have heard of it, name it and claim it. He craves and seeks popularity and praise from the world. To maintain his followers' approval, he teaches only the parts of the Bible the listeners deem acceptable. Therefore, he speaks much of happiness, never of sin. Speaks much of heaven, never of hell. Speaks about blessing, never about judgment. He gives them only what they want to hear, which is why they're coming. He preaches a partial gospel, which is no gospel at all. He has no financial accountability. He, his wife, his siblings, and other people related to him are all on staff and they make undisclosed number of dollars. He lives in a 17,000 square foot mansion with an estimated value of $11 million. He preaches an empty gospel to a packed out church and lives like a millionaire. I tell you this story because... I want you to understand that the New Testament being filled with warnings about false teachers is not some old problem. It's still with us. The New Testament is filled with teaching about false teachers, starting with this passage tonight, in which Jesus warns us about how the scribes were false teachers. There are servants of God, and then there are those who masquerade as servants of God. There are those who draw attention to themselves, and then there are those who draw attention to Jesus Christ. And in this previous passage, this passage is very connected to the previous passage. And in fact, it's very connected to the next passage, verses 41 to 44, which is too much to bite off for tonight. So we'll look at that next time. The connection to the second passage is widows in both. The connection to the previous passage is what I'm about to say. The teaching that Jesus challenged them with, the false teachers, is taken on in verses 35, 36, and 37, which we studied last time, starting off with the question in verse 35, how can the scribes say, this is having to do with the teaching of the scribes, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? They were actually teaching in such a way as to lead people to conclude that the Christ was only the son of David and not also God, so that he was human only and not divine. The teaching of false teachers is false. False. That's what he described in verses 35 to 37. Now in our next passage, tonight the passage we look at, verses 38, 39, and 40, Jesus shows now the living of the false teachers was false. The way that they're conducting themselves was false. So we'll see it in their teaching, we see it in their living, you see it in both. The main point tonight is the um, top sentence in bold print on your bulletin. The Lord Jesus taught the crowd how to see false teachers and how to see God's judgment. So we begin in verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. This whole chapter, chapter 12, has been about teaches Jesus' teaching. Again, 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 and again, he is teaching. Uh, often he had been asked questions and then he answers those questions and does teaching in response to them. Here, he is now taking up his own teaching, rather than being asked questions. If you remember at the end of verse 34, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So now he is teaching in the previous passage, 35 to 37, and then tonight in verses 38 following. So he starts off saying what he wants to say and teaching what he wants to to teach. I'm happy with the translation, the English Standard Version that you have, Beware of the Scribes, but I want you to understand and fill out the picture a bit for what that first word is. The first word, beware, can be translated to see. To see in the sense of having perception. See in the sense of noticing what's really going on with the scribes. What was it about the scribes that Jesus needed the crowds to see or notice or pay more attention to? What was it that presented a danger? That's what he's answering throughout the rest of the passage. So we'll see verses 38 and 39. They crave being somebody and being honored. Secondly, in verse 40, that they use religion to hide their greed and they're taking advantage of others. So they hide two things, their greed and they're taking advantage of others. And third, that they will receive God's judgment, which, of course, we all deserve from the end of verse 40. So first, they crave being somebody and being honored. This is what they're supposed to see, to see, to notice, to beware of. So verse 38 continues, They are those who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. So the scribes in those days were easily picked out of a crowd. The scribes were the ones who had the linen robes, a long white mantle on top of the robe, and the mantle would reach to his feet. And all along the sides of the mantle were very long fringes. And the fringes on the edge were made up of very small strings, but very long strings. So as he would move about, the scribe would be involved in a lot of flowing a lot of movement of cloth, a lot of a movement catches attention. They, they wanted that. They wanted to be seen as men of distinction. They, they wore white, and a lot of people wore colors, but they left that for the common people to wear the colors. The, the scribes were those who expected to be respected by the crowds, and people did. They held them in awe. And when an ancient scribe passed by an ancient crowd, the people would stand up, as they pass by, out of respect for them. Much like as we enter a courtroom, they say, all rise. Well, they would just do that naturally as the scribes would move about the town. The scribe was greeted with titles such as rabbi or father or master. Jesus is confronting all of this practice. It's far from what they should be. They were not interested in helping people with the hurts and needs that they have. All they wanted was to be seen and to have people admire them, they wanted status, and everyone was expected to constantly pay attention to their rank and their position. This is what we 're seeing; they crave being somebody and being honored by groups. We continue into verse thirty nine as Jesus states more, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts and in the synagogue, the place of gatherings for teaching the the seat of honor was reserved for the scribe. The scribe would sit in front with his back to that box that contained the scripture. See, he was facing the crowd and everybody could see him. His seat was in full view of all the gathered people. It's interesting how verse 39 with this phrase, best seats, can literally be translated first theater. It's as if before the show starts, You first get a show of the scribes entering and taking their seats up front. They love that. It's the pre-show show. show, And you would get to see them. The scribes were being honored. They were honored in that culture more than the elderly. The scribes were honored by people. More than those people honored their own parents, which is, of course, one of the top ten commandments. Honor your father and your mother. But the highest places in society and in religious circles were assigned to the scribes. Jesus is confronting all of this and talking with them about the culture in their time. And Jesus here is condemning the scribes for their desire for these recognitions of status. He saw that the scribes loved it. They, They loved the attention, that the scribes were eating it up and becoming more and more satisfied with themselves. So he's telling the crowds to beware, to see this, to perceive it for what's happening. Are they religious leaders for you? Are they? Moving to our second point, they use religion to hide. To hide what? Two things. One, their greed, and two, hide their taking advantage of others. Verse uh, 40 as it begins, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. I have to understand something else now about the scribes. At, at that time, they're not allowed to take a salary for teaching the Bible. So they lived on whatever the people committed to giving them. It's like today, I suppose, you could make an analogy, like when missionaries go out and raise their support. So having people extend to them generosity, having people extend to them hospitality, was encouraged by the scribes. So they would teach that it was an act of service to God to feed a scribe. And especially if the scribe was poor, and they had a concern for how he was going to have his basic food and clothing provided, many wealthy people would then make commitments to provide generously to the scribes, perhaps in exchange for attention themselves or other favors. And soon scribes were inevitably taking advantage of that and it became this terrible system, as you could imagine. Well, knowing that, knowing that background, we now get to the statement of Jesus here in verse 40, that the scribes were those who devour Widows, houses. You know that we have an English uh, phrase that's similar to this. If someone who has a healthy appetite comes over, uh, you might say, I'm afraid that might eat us out of house and home. Uh, That's exactly the type of phrase that's presented here in Greek. It's the phrase to eat up the house. Of course, it's not literally eating the the dwelling, it's eating all the food that you might have and asking for more. It's a very healthy appetite but not literally eating the house. More like to swallow the house, but not literally, only metaphorically. And of course you understand what it means. It means that the scribes were sponging on the hospitality of people and people who themselves were poor. Throughout the scriptures, whenever you talk about a widow and a widow's house, it's someone who represents those who are less fortunate, those who are needy, those who do not have as much financial power or resources. The vulnerability of widows is front and center here. As representing the poor, it's a theme throughout Scripture. To rip off a widow or a poor person is particularly despicable in Scripture and, of course, in the teaching of our great rabbi Jesus. If there were yet another level lower of despicability, It would be the level of also taking advantage of the poor who have spiritual, generous hearts toward God. And out of a desire to honor God, they're giving. That's especially another level that's at play here if you notice how verse 40 is structured. The poor who don't have much, would be glad to give it to the Lord or to someone in need. Such persons are the subject that we'll study, Lord willing, next time, verses 41 to 44. They're the opposite of the scribes. But notice how Jesus puts in proximity these two phrases. Verse 40, those who devour widows' houses and, for a pretense, make long prayers. So that if you put those two together... The taking of provisions from widows is connected to the scribes also for a pretense making long prayers. Imagine it. They took every pop public opportunity to win the respect of people by praying long prayers. Given the first part of the verse, what do you suppose they might pray long prayers about? What if they were praying about the need for widows to be cared for, the need for widows to receive donations, to receive money. It would seem like in public, as they're praying that way, that they were caring for widows. But then in private, they were greedily taking the money from the widows that people were donating to the widows. It's funneling money back around. And the connection between the public prayer and the private theft is especially seems like what Jesus has in mind in verse 40, since he placed these two phrases side by side. And that brings us to point three, and the last six words of our passage spoken by Jesus. Verse 40c. They will receive the greater condemnation. They will receive God's judgment, of course, which we all deserve. Because the scribes would pray long prayers for a pretense while privately devouring the homes of the poor, It exposed them to the searching judgment of God. Of course, no one gets away with anything before the all-searching eye of God. So what would happen? What would eventually happen to a scribe like that? Jesus, the true teacher, teaches a stern denunciation of the scribal practices. This teaching is interesting. If you look at the structure of the Gospel of Mark, this teaching, these six words we're now studying are the last teaching of Jesus to the crowds in the entire Gospel of Mark. In verse 43, if you're looking ahead, Jesus will teach a bit more, teach a bit more on the topic of widows, but Jesus would say that only to his disciples. The audience is the disciples. So Jesus ended his public ministry to the crowds with these words here at the end of verse 40. They will receive the greater judgment, talking about, The false prophets, the false teachers, these scribes. The last impression that Jesus left with the crowd was a warning about false teachers, these scribes, and it's because of their way of living. It's interesting how much is picked up across the rest of the New Testament on this very topic of false teachers. It's a prominent theme for us in the New Testament. The Apostle James, for example, must have been reflecting on this exact teaching of Jesus. Listen to James three: one and two. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. James three, one and two. So the question becomes: who could become a scribe? Who could become a teacher? It's interesting that Jesus is presenting all negativity here. These are the things not to do. These are things to watch for that are bad and wrong. You almost wonder, could there be an alternate teaching that tells us the correct thing? You can assume the opposites, but you have to start thinking about the passage and its teacher. There is someone who's different from the scribes. There is someone in this proximity who does not like to walk around in long robes. There is someone who doesn't crave to be somebody and get attention that way. There's someone who doesn't crave being honored. There's someone nearby who who does not look for the public greetings in the marketplaces. There is someone who does not like to have the best seat in the synagogue. There's someone who doesn't like the place of honor at feasts. There is someone who does not use his religion to hide his greed or use his religion To hide anything. There's someone who does not use any cause to take advantage of others, especially the poor. There's someone who does not rip off widows. There's someone who does not, for a pretense, make long prayers in public. There's someone who teaches that Jesus is the Lord, David's Lord and David's God. That someone, of course, is Jesus the teacher himself. Only Jesus loves others as himself. The rest of us are condemned along with the scribes. We're greedy. We're selfish. Only Jesus loves God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. As we saw in the previous, previous passage, verse 30 and 31, the rest of us fail to love God properly. Only Jesus would receive no condemnation. All of us deserve condemnation for our wrongs. Only Jesus would receive the judgment of God Do to us and die in our place and be able to walk out of the grip of death because of his innocence. Let me just do a quick review of the relationship between Jesus, the true teacher, and the scribes as false teachers as they've been presented to us in the Gospel of Mark before this passage. Going back now to chapter 3, Mark 3, the scribes as false teachers said that Jesus was possessed by a demon. That was how Jesus cast out demons, because he's possessed by a demon himself. And the true teacher responds to that by teaching, Satan doesn't cast out Satan. In Mark 7, the scribes, the false teachers, asked Jesus why his disciples did not follow their hand-washing ceremony before they ate. Jesus, the true teacher, responded by showing that they were hypocrites because they follow the hand-washing ceremony, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus, the true teacher, showed in Mark 7 that they were taking the commandments of men and falsely teaching that they were commandments of God. And then in Mark 11, verse 18, the scribes, these false teachers were seeking a way to destroy Jesus, while Jesus, the true teacher, was teaching in such a way that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Jesus overturned the tables and then taught that they were making a house of prayer into a den of robbers. In Mark 12, our chapter, if you go back to verse 27, these scribes, these false teachers, came to Jesus and were challenging his authority to overturn the tables and to teach these things. Jesus, the true teacher, responds to these scribes by teaching them that both Jesus and the former man, John the Baptist, were operating under the authority of heaven, but that the scribes still would not believe. And then in Mark 12 Verse 12, the scribes as false teachers were arresting, seeking to arrest Jesus but feared the people while Jesus, the true teacher, taught a parable about them. And it, it was clear enough that even the crowds understood and even the scribes themselves understood the parable was about them. And then in tonight's passage, as we've seen, Mark 12, 38 to 40, the scribes as false teachers were showing themselves in public to not have the characteristics that God expected of them. Meanwhile, Jesus, the true teacher, was teaching the crowds how to see the false teachers. So we see it as a theme through the Gospel of Mark. We see it pronounced here in this last teaching of Jesus to the crowds before the Gospel of Mark concludes. So what have we seen tonight? That the Lord Jesus taught the crowds how to see false teachers and about God's judgment that the false teachers crave being somebody and being honored, that they use religion to hide their greed, and they use religion to hide their taking advantage of others, and that they will receive God's judgment, which we all deserve. The concluding application to us, then, is just this one thing. Remember that Jesus gave his life to serve us and to protect us by teaching us the truth. That. Truth shapes every Christian. It shapes every Christian leader as we all follow Christ. Anything else is fake. And I preach this to myself, but it's true of all Christians. A um, Christian family had someone over for supper, and they thought they would show off the, the religiosity of the family. And they'd say, "There, my, my four-year-old can pray for the meal. Go ahead, Johnny. Pray, pray for the meal, says Mommy. And Johnny doesn't really want to. Mommy, I don't want to pray. Oh, Johnny, that's okay. You can pray. Go ahead and pray. Show Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so that you can pray. Mommy, I don't want to, and I don't know what to say. Oh, just, just, just pray, Mommy says. Just, Johnny, please just pray whatever you hear Mommy say. All right. So Johnny prays, and he says, Oh Lord, why did we invite these people over on such a hot day? Amen. It's the example of hypocrisy. A little humorous, of course, but it exposes who we really are, as children are wont to do. The question is, do we remember that Jesus gave his life to serve us and protect us by teaching us the truth? And are we willing to see ourselves for who we are? The main verse of the whole Gospel of Mark is on this topic. Mark 10.45, but let me warm up to it. Mark 10. On that day, the disciples were asking for honor. Remember how embarrassing that was to study? Uh, A disciple of Jesus says, Let me sit at your right hand or your left hand in your glory. Right. The disciples began an argument because of that statement, about which of them should have more honor and more glory in heaven. Wonderful. Seems like they're missing the whole point, doesn't it, about Jesus? How is Jesus supposed to use this occasion now to teach his disciples? Jesus, being the great teacher, filled with mercy, calls all of his disciples over to himself. Some have been asking for a seat at his right or seat at his left in heaven. They've started an argument about it. Come over. Everybody come over. Everybody come over. I'm going to teach you again what it's all about. Instead of wanting others to serve us, instead of wanting a place of glory, a place of honor for ourselves, we ought to want to serve others. Listen to the true teacher, Mark 10, starting with verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Is a ransom for many. That's the key verse, Mark ten forty-five. That last verse I just read. It's the key verse that holds all of the teaching of the Gospel of Mark together, and it's right on that topic that Jesus has just been teaching. What we studied tonight, Mark twelve thirty-eight to forty, that anyone who's following Jesus and has that character in them that's like Jesus to serve God, is following Jesus, and anyone who's not is a fake. So there's a test of true teacher versus false teacher. And the test is teaching and living. Look at the person's words, their teaching, and look at the person's life. So before we close, let's look at Jesus with our little test. His teaching and his life. Jesus taught the truth. We've established that again and again. How about his life? Did Jesus live out what he just taught? Let's take that core verse, Mark 10, 45. Son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's easy to say. Did he do it? Of course, we know that's true. He did it. He actually did give his life as a ransom for many. True teacher. Both the words and the living. Both the teaching of Jesus and then his decision to give us his life on the cross show us that he is the true teacher. All other teachers must serve God and others in a similar way with self-sacrificing lives and biblical truth. Anything else is a fake. Let's pray.